I'm Adam Epstein, and I'm a dirty moderate. Dirty moderates, it ain't over till it's over. That's today's episode. It has been an interesting week in politics, interesting few weeks, right? As we have seen the uh, ground shift uh, from the Republicans that before the Dobbs decision, a horrible decision, uh, sending abortion back to the states, uh, before that decision, it looked like you know a low approving Biden or a low approval rating for Biden uh, alongside um, high inflation, high gas prices, all sorts of woes was going to send the Republicans into a euphoria of crimson. Not so much, at least as of now, but I say that with caution. I say that as a warning. I say that as, do not take your foot off the gas. It's only September. Beginning of September, but we are 10 weeks out from one of the biggest elections in our lives. I only say one of them because we've 2020's past and 2024 is the next one. But as my producer says, one election at a time. That being said, there is a lot that is going on to give Democrats optimism about the fall about November. First off, I come to you the night or the day after Sarah Palin, uh, the disgraced former Republican vice presidential nominee who ruined John McCain's chances in 2008 and is a paradigm of toxic putrid stupidity, uh, was defeated by a Democrat uh, called Mary Patola in our 49th state, the great state of Alaska, which tends red Though, uh, as I always say, people mistake it for Idaho or Wyoming. It's not red like that. It's more of a libertarian red. You know, they've been way out there in the yonder for a long time and, you know, don't want the government meddling. But, you know, they've got Lisa Murkowski, who we endorsed here. She's a pro-choice, pro-marriage equality, I believe, dirty moderate. Uh, And they have had a a streak of uh, maverick-like politics for many, many years. Uh, Democrats have won there before. Uh, there was a Senator Mark Begich. Begich's son, re- re- weirdly enough, is a Republican, or it might be his nephew, but he's a Begich. Nick Begich uh, was eliminated. There were three candidates in this race. So it was Palin, Patola, and Begich. Ranked choice voting eliminates in rounds. So in the first round, Begich didn't get enough votes. He had to drop out. But of the remaining votes, a lot of the ex-Begich voters, he's a Republican, as I said, did not want Sarah Palin. And apparently, and the data was, is still being worked out, but apparently went over to Mary Patola and hence her win. And of course, Twitter is um, a light illuminated. And I understand it with great excitement. I am part of the excitement because I didn't want Sarah Palin to be part of the Mutant Clown Caucus. Um, she's obviously a Trump-backed election denier. So it's not just a win for Alaska. It's a win for America. But... As Dave Wasserman, uh, the great congressional and political statistician, said, you know, don't extract too many conclusions from this because, A, it's a special election to fill the seat of Don Young. Don Young was the long-serving Alaska congressman, Republican who died in office. This was a special election, which means that uh, Mary Patola now needs to go uh, to Washington, but only until November, where she will face the voters again. And who knows what will happen? I think we have to realize that we can't draw 
I don't want to say broad conclusions, but the wrong conclusions from every time there's a special election. You know, there was a special election in New York's 19th uh, that went to the Democrat a few weeks back. It was anticipated a Republican might win, but the Democrat did. And did that mean anything? I don't know. I mean, certainly that was that was, I, I guess you could argue, more Republican leaning district in the old sense. But, you know, I think Dobbs has had a huge impact. And let's not forget, OK, uh, inflation's coming down. It really is. Gas prices are coming down. And so this puts Biden in a better position. I, his approval rating, I believe, has shot up about nine points. It's still technically not good, but it's, it's better than it, it was. And it, it certainly puts him in the realm of other uh, presidents who face midterm voters, not successfully particularly, but we shall see. But my point is, is there may be a decoupling going on here between the Biden approval and what the voters might do because, and this is important for everybody listening, for all the never Trumpers like myself, independents, conservatives, and especially Democrats, progressives and liberals and Democrats, listen to my dear friends on the left. Okay. I, sh- I lock arms in battle with you now, though I don't always share your views but I need you and I'm voting for you. But you must keep playing offense. There are a a multitude of factors which are at play here this year. And I don't care that politics is so national. I lament it all the time. But famous uh, House Speaker, the late, great Thomas Tip O'Neill, Speaker of the House from Massachusetts, famous in his years in office for being uh, making deals with Ronald Reagan, he said all politics is local. And that still has a lot of truth to it. It does. Let's take New Hampshire. Okay, we're talking about Senate races now where it looks like the Democrats are now favored, according to Nate Silver in 538. They are favored to win the Senate. They're slightly favored to win the Senate. And there is a very contested New Hampshire Senate race. Maggie Hassan, who's the incumbent, is seeking reelection. Now, this is important. New Hampshire is what they call, this is also Nate Silver term, the swingiest of states, not swing states. Not Michigan, Pennsylvania, not the blue wall thing, but swingy in that it has its own idiosyncrasy. Okay, it's not a religious state. It has a slogan that says live free or die. They absolutely abhor taxes. It has been something of a bellwether in presidential primaries where you've seen people win the presidency because they won it, namely Bill Clinton's big comeback in 92, and then people who won the primary and didn't get the nomination, like Hillary Clinton in 2008. And it's worth Understanding that it's a non-religious, largely white state, Maggie Hassan is up. It's an independent state where people are not going to necessarily, I guess, flow with the prevailing wind, you might say. We don't know, but it's worth noting here that in 2020, the current uh, other Democratic Senator, Jean Shaheen, she was also a governor at one time, she won re-election by 16 points. That happened as Governor Sununu, the son of John Sununu, former uh, George H.W. Bush chief of staff, just as Governor Sununu was reelected by 32 points. Okay? So there is a lot of ticket splitting in New Hampshire, which is to say we don't know what's going to happen, but it's it's not a race that I see getting a lot of attention outside the small political uh, ecosphere of geeks and nerds like myself. I mean, there are obviously, quote-unquote, bigger, sexier races, but Hassan is in there now. She is a Democrat. If she loses, that is a loss, which means that Democrats got to go make it up somewhere else. 
And I don't know that November is going to be some kind of runaway Democratic triumph, even if they increase the majority. If they increase the majority by two and lose one, well, again, we, they're trying to, we're all trying as Americans, and those who know me know this, as we always say, we're saving democracy one episode at a time. We are backing the blue because we're putting country first. I am an independent, but man, I'm rah-rahing for the Dems this year. And guys, Dems, listen to me. This is what I'm talking about. You haven't won anything yet, okay? No champagne popping. Put the crystal away. It's a lot of work to do, and there's a lot of things that can happen. There's sort of three big things that I look for in election season to determine who I think will win, which will tell you a lot. Um, nothing is, of course, a certainty, but there are sort of three areas I look for. Number one, and this is key, is the turnout. Historically, midterm elections favor the, pre- the party out of power, so that would be the Republicans. Only twice in, I think, about 100 years did we buck that history, 1998. People were tired of all the attacks on Bill Clinton, and the Democrats actually increased their majority in Congress. 2002, George W. Bush, you know, uh, we were mired in the war on terror, newly uh, in the wake of, of 9-11, and uh, Bush uh, saw the Republicans increase their majority. Most of the time they don't. So turnout is key. And typically the party out of power is frothing them out to get in there, right? To win. Their voters are lost two years prior and they want it. They want back in. They want it all, you know, and they want to show their dissatisfaction with the incumbent, whichever party that incumbent might be. In this case, the incumbent being Joe Biden. But the turnout could be great for Democrats. And Democrats, I always say, and I'm going to say it again, vote.org, vote.org, vote.org. This goes for everybody. The turnout is essential, folks. 101 million people didn't vote in 2020. We lament it here all the time. It's an aber- it's, a, it's really a grotesquerie and a blot on our democratic faith, on our citizenry that we had that happen. A lot of votes to spare. I know Gen Z is mobilized because of student loan debt and the gun violence going on. I know millennials seem more inspired, thinking that, you know, maybe climate change, the climate bill and, and, and movement toward kind of greener energy is getting people more excited. Biden has turned out to govern, you know, like a sort of standard liberal, giving a lot of goodies to the left, and they're happy about it. Some I like, some I don't. I'm happy that the Democrats, though, may be poised to hold on to their majority or win, but the turnout is everything. And that goes into the vote.org concept, which I push and plug every episode every week because that's what we need. So that's one turnout. The other is we're going to be looking for October surprises. You hear that term all the time in presidential election years. It's the famous moment where a candidate who has the lead is met with a, an unfortunate event or a reversal of fortune. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. The most recent example, which changed the tide, and most pollsters will tell you this, was James Comey. I think it was 11 days or whatever it was before the 2016 election. He reopened the investigation into Hillary's emails because correspondence was found on Anthony Weiner, the disgraced congressman's laptop, who and he was with Huma Abedin, who was a Hillary chief, Hillary consigliere, staffer, loyalist. And Comey said, we got to open this up. Hillary was ahead in the poll. She was at that juncture. And they did change. I don't know that every poll changed. And certainly some of the polling was wrong. We know that. But that was an October surprise. Right? Trump's grabbing by the pussy tape. Didn't do it. The attack on Kazir Khan. 
the uh, Muslim who had died in service, whose parents talked at the convention. Um, that didn't do it. But anyway, Hillary saw her lead evaporate. And don't forget, Donald Trump may not be on any ballot in 2022, but he is as a concept, as political future as Trumpism is. Stuart Stevens of the Lincoln Project, uh, one of the senior advisors and long-term long-term Republican who's now left the party, former Romney guy, said about Trump that his toxicity and his backing of weak candidates are proven to hurt the Republicans. Right? So on the positive note, you've got John Fetterman running against Mehmet Oz the uh, huckster Mehmet Oz of fake supplements fame and of Oprah fame. Fetterman looks like he's going to, looks like he's going to win that seat. Mehmet Oz looks like he's running a disastrous campaign by all accounts. Purple Pennsylvania will go blue as it did for Joe Biden, as it has before. So it seems Fetterman is an appealing guy. He looks rugged. He talks to Pennsylvania. That's the whole middle of the state between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. We think and Mehmet Oz may just be digging his own grave just as readily as he's making his own crudite. You remember that, right? Crudite, not a vegetable platter, but the price of crudite. Hmm. What's the price of ranch dressing? Anyway, you've got that, right? And that looks good. And that is a seat for retiring Pat Toomey, who is a Republican. So that would be a pickup. All right. What about Ohio? Ohio, which has uh, trended red in the last few cycles. Donald Trump won it, won it by eight points there in 2020. I, hard to believe still Obama carried it twice. It uh, had always been the great swing state. They have a Democratic senator, very popular, called Sherrod Brown, liberal populist of the sort of working class sort, you know, gravelly voiced, every man, uh, but who votes uh, with the majority of the Democrats all the time. And I would argue is probably kind of an old time New Deal or great society liberal very pro-labor union in a state that's been decimated by uh, globalization and deindustrialization and the like. But Tim Ryan, the opponent, is a great kind of where every guy Democrat, he famously represented Youngstown in the, um, in the House of Representatives. He had a short-lived presidential run. He's a good guy, right? He's talking about being hard on China. He's talking about the working man's pocketbook. He's not getting, you know, distracted or, or, or waylaid by any social issue uh, catastrophes. He actually came out against student loan debt forgiveness because he feels it doesn't help his working class constituents, many of whom didn't go to college. So he's running is that way. So he's made this a race. His opponent is the notorious huckster, the author of Hillbilly Elegy, J.D. Vance, once, once a non-Trumper, an anti-Trumper, you might say, who called him a racist and a xenophobe and unfit for office, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And now is his main man, right? Received his endorsement, making spreading lies everywhere. But Ohio isn't typically favorable terrain for the Democrats, despite Sherrod Brown, Senator Sherrod Brown's presence there and his uh, pretty solid victory there last time. It's a different year. This could be one of those things where the prevailing wind goes back. At the end of the day, people go in the voting booth and it's red. But there could be turnout in Ohio. High turnout gave Barack Obama the state twice. Gave Bill Clinton the state. Right? Almost, you may remember, in 04, gave John Kerry the state. Had John Kerry won Ohio in 04, Bush wouldn't have been reelected. So it should very much be in play, but I don't know where to put that now. Democrats, foot on the gas, foot on the gas, feet on the gas, whatever you want to say. Don't stop. Very important. How about Georgia? A poll came out this week. It was actually an amalgam of well, one poll, an Emerson poll, and then there was a bunch of other polls. It basically showed Herschel Walker, who I believe is 
completely without a brain or a functioning brain, who's the Republican Senate candidate challenging Raphael Warnock, the Democratic incumbent. Remember, he and Ossoff were the guys that won two years ago, handed the Democrats their 50-seat Senate, and obviously with Kamala, 51 votes. But yeah, this this is going to be a very interesting thing to watch because the race has tightened. And Walker is an atrocious candidate. But if I were a Democratic strategist, I would be quaking in my boots. I would be really worried about this because why is Warnock not out by five or 10? You got to remember this, folks. There's a margin of error in polling. So this, oh, plus two, plus three. It's within the margin of error. That's never good. It's never good. It can go one way or the other. It's plus or minus, right? And if you really want to be victorious, you really got to be safely in the lead. You know, you want to see five points at least of the margin errors, two or three, you know, gives you a little breathing room. I, I think given the disaster that Walker really is and Georgia, yeah, is kind of turning purple. But remember, Biden only won it by 11,700 votes or so. You know, those votes that Trump called Raffensperger about and said, finally, the votes, the votes he wanted to steal. Very, 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 very narrow. Hillary was safely in the lead in 2016. So, this is this just gives me great pause. We Democrats lose Warnock, you know, pick up Fetterman, lose Hassan. Uh-uh. No won't. Uh-uh. Remember what's going on here. Don't know what's gonna happen with JD Vance. It's still a toss-up. Ryan has been behind in some polls, ahead in some other polls. You can't afford to trade these seats. It's all mathematics, folks. Then you got Florida, which you do have to remember always leans Republican these days. So Val Demings. To borrow Rick Wilson's term, she's a once-in-a-generation political candidate. Marco Rubio is a total fraud and a real, a real wet noodle and uh, a craven soulless guy. But a lot of Latinos in Florida, uh, Florida, Trump won Florida. Uh, a lot of retirees in Florida who lean red. Anybody north of the I-4 corridor, I grew up in Miami, by the way. So anything north I-4 corridor there, Tampa, Orlando, anything north of that, you are in the south. All right? You are in the old Confederacy. So what I mean by this is that I don't know that that's going to be a pickup. And there's a lot of eyes and attention. Listen, work as hard as you can for Val Demings. But remember this too, folks. And this is the important thing. Playing offense is got to be the strategy because there's going to be all sorts of factors that we may, as Americans, may or may not be able to mitigate. Just because the GOP has bad candidates does not mean that they are going to lose. I think that they've overplayed their hand and independently women are going to revolt against their rights being taken away by a theocratic Supreme court. However, as I said, turnout, uh, mixed with the environment that we're in, again, someone could say a big faux pas. Any of these candidates on the democratic side could really put their foot in their mouth. I think of Beto, uh, running for governor and I'm not going to get into the governor races today, but you know, he famously said, we ran for president. We're going to take away your guns. We're coming for your guns, whatever it was. You know, swing voters are it. Dirty moderates will determine control of Congress. And dirty moderates who want to save democracy like we do and want to do it with every fiber of our essence, they need to come out and vote. Vote.org, vote.org, vote.org. So there is optimism cautiously right now. Okay, but there is no time or place or reason, I should say, for celebration. 
10 weeks away, or 10 weeks away, a lot can happen, as Lenny Kravitz sang in his great pop hit of the early 90s. But baby, it ain't over till it's over. So many years we've tried to keep our love alive. Well, we got to keep democracy alive. Folks, thank you for joining me. Don't forget, wherever and uh, whenever you listen to your podcast, subscribe to Dirty Modder. We're everywhere Apple, Google, Spotify, Pandora. You know where we are everywhere. Follow us at Dirty Moderate on Instagram and Twitter. We are saving democracy one episode at a time. Thank you always for joining us, for supporting us and following us. You make all this possible. In the meantime, stay dirty, stay moderate, and stay safe. (laughs) 